0: Welcome back to Aggie Hoops Weekly. We were planning to start with a recap of the Aggies game against Troy, but a bit of breaking news came across our timelines this afternoon, and we felt that it was appropriate to start there. So, David, let's, let's talk about the news that dropped today.
1: Let's talk about it indeed. So you said it yourself, we were going to open with Troy, we were going to talk Orlando and some Turkey Day hoops, but instead news broke that TJ Starks has formally entered his name into the transfer portal. So that's breaking news in the sense that it's going to get cold sometimes between now and spring break. I mean, we kind of saw this coming, but it is a formalization of some pretty shocking news, which Blake, will touch on this in more detail, brings our number of healthy scholarship players to seven. Maybe six, depending on who's feeling good on a given day, uh, which is going to be interesting as we approach a passage where we have three games in four days against varying levels of quality. Depending on how we do, we could play three quality teams over an extended four-day weekend. So we have a lot to hit. Um, but yeah, as you said at the top, TJ Stark's no longer with
0: the program. Yeah, let's let's dive into that first. I don't think that either of us was shocked by this revelation. I think we both felt that this was a very real possibility. And as we discussed earlier, we felt like it was actually kind of a possibility when Buzz Williams was first announced.
1: So we said that I kind of want to give us a little bit of credit here. I know it doesn't make for great radio to just congratulate ourselves for saying certain things, but we had it pretty early. I felt like we were throwing the transfer word out there earlier than most in the offseason. And then Blake, you specifically, you doubled down in our first episode saying, I really think this guy might be gone. So maybe we can change our slogan to... Aggie Hoops Weekly, the place where you get probable news a week before it actually breaks. I don't know. We can workshop the, you know, the, yeah, the phrase. We'll it's, it's it's in its yeah. infancy, but we had this one, and that is to say. It really wasn't a hard one to have it was pretty clear it was written all over his face in that exhibition game Uh, the subsequent charge for marijuana possession which he's disputing by the way we'll see how that shakes out he didn't exactly take his punishment in that regard he is fighting it tooth and nail in the legal system so we'll see how that shakes out but in any regard we had an unhappy player who didn't appear to fit with the system kind of found his way into some legal trouble his problems last year are pretty well documented. It just, it just kind of seemed like the only way the sucker was going to end, didn't it?
0: Yeah, it really did. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. Sometimes as bad as you want it to work out for someone, it's just not meant to be right. It's not going to happen. And after his freshman year, there was so much promise. You felt like you felt like TJ Starks was the future of Texas A&M basketball. He was the most consistent player in that freshman class. He dominated North Carolina, and this isn't just dominating North Carolina. This is def- dominating defending national champion North Carolina in the round of 32 in Charlotte, right? I I was I was stunned. He was he was great and he looked like he was ready to carry that mantle. And then things just kind of fell apart in his sophomore season. You could tell that the the relationship with Billy Kennedy was strained, especially midway through the year. You just, you hate to see it. I wish him well. I wish him all the best. I don't think that this was the right situation for him. Uh, I, I think he, that freshman year worked because he was on a contender. And I think he's one of those guys who's competitive and wants to win. And if he's not winning, I don't know that he handles that situation well, That's and I don't have anything to base that on other than a gut feel.
1: Well, let's talk about just how good he was coming down the stretch as a freshman. So as he came into his own, he finished the year with double digits and 12 out of 14 games down the stretch. But I have his game log pulled up from his fish year. I wanted to talk about North Carolina specifically. That's 21 points and five assists in a game with, I don't know, Blake, between six and eight NBA players on the floor, depending on on when you pause the television. I mean, we're talking, he was shining in an environment where there was talent for days and he was still the best player on the floor by a somewhat healthy margin. It's during certain parts of the game. So I think you said it, he belongs on a contender and more specifically, he belongs on a team that's not going to ask him to carry the load as a playmaker. I don't mean a playmaker, scorer, finisher. I mean, playmaker is someone who will beat their man for the express purpose of Passing the ball and starting an offense. The most frustrating part about his development last year was for a five to six game stretch in the middle of last season, he actually did turn it on. The light bulb flicked, and he was beating guys not just to take a contested runner, but he was beating guys. He's always had that quick first step, and then he was passing, and the team was doing better. I, I want to say that this this you know enlightenment of his coincided with uh, the win over Kansas State and some you know our mini turnaround you know two thirds of the way through the season. But it was always apparent that he hated it. He did not like doing that. It was written all over his face at all times. Dude's a scorer. He's a born scorer, does not want to be a pass-first guy. Now, I don't know how coachable he is, and I think the last 18 months have shed a pretty harsh light on that. But if he can fix some of those things, I think he could be a very, very valuable transfer ad to a good team. Or he could wash out and, and score thirty a game in D three. I really think it could fall in either of those buckets, man. I don't know what this guy is going next.
0: Yeah, you're exactly right, and I think that this speaks to the direction that Buzz Williams is taking this program. I will, I will use this as a as a sign. It, it's as good as Buzz walking out and hanging a sign on on the front of Reed Arena saying, "I don't care about how athletic you are if you're not going to give me maximum effort." And if you're not going to follow team rules and be a team player, you can hit the road. If you're a recruit, if you're not going to live by this example, keep on moving. We don't want you. And and that's that's exactly what you see with Buzz, right? He's a no-nonsense guy. And I think whenever the, the announcement came out about TJ's arrest for marijuana possession and his suspension was handed out, that was certainly a harbinger of of what was to come in in this in his leaving the team. I think I think it was pretty much I, I won't say that Buzz gave up on TJ, but I don't think Buzz fought very hard to keep him around either.
1: My thought would be that Buzz probably laid out some pretty strict requirements, Coach Carter style, as to what would be required for him to come back and TJ just said, forget that noise and just walked out the door. That's my that's my guess.
0: Yeah, that's I think that's a pretty accurate guess. So,
1: as you were laying that out, I went to look at our roster to figure out exactly how many healthy guys we had. As I went through that list, I decided to take a look at Buzz Williams' first year in Virginia Tech. That would be the year that they went 11 and 22 and 2 and 16 in ACC play. And I have to say, we might be headed for something like this. So, taking a look at this uh, at this slate, Buzz effectively went an entire year beating the triple digit uh, Ken Palm teams that came to his building and losing to just about everybody else with the exception of a couple of, uh, of conference games that were against people near the dregs in the ACC. So I want to make two points here. One, we could very well be headed for something like that. And two, it worked. It worked for him. If you look at his jump from year one to year two, and in year two, now he's 10-8 and eight in the ACC, and now he's in the NIT, and then they make the NCAA tournament the next three years running. So there is a process here the process does sometimes involve bottoming out for buzz. And we may be flying towards that reality at alarming speed.
0: Yeah, I think so. I, I think that we both realized that this was a distinct possibility early on. Uh, we, we talked about it in the season preview. He has, he has kind of a track record of, of, bottoming out in that first year. He's going to clean house. He's going to get his guys in the program uh, the guys that are going to fit his system, that are going to work the way he wants them to work. And it, it takes a little bit of time to build that, right? I'm not seeing anything that makes me change my mind one bit that that's exactly the blueprint for what you're going to see laid out here at AM. I think this is is kind of the first step for cleaning house and getting the right group of players in in the building. And then you'll see the program start to take steps forward. Next year is going to be kind of that NIT bracket and then and then you'll see a big step forward into like contention in in year three
1: sign me up but first let's talk troy
0: well before that let's actually uh, take a 30 second break and hear from our sponsors real quick Okay, so last Wednesday night, the Aggies took on Troy at Reed Arena. David, let's get, get a quick rundown of what we saw against the Trojans.
1: I am going to make it quick because it was not a pretty brand of basketball, and we don't need to spend too much time talking about it. I will start by saying it may very well have been the ugliest win that I have ever seen on the Texas a basketball floor. And that's not to say that Billy Gillespie didn't win some ugly games, but that was more That was ugly by design, and this was more ugly because we couldn't execute. So, you know, not all ugly things are built in the same manner. But it was a a tale of two halves. Despite the fact that it wasn't a particularly interesting or enthralling game, we did look much better in the second half than in the first half. So in the first half, it was just like it was a god-awful half of basketball you know many pardons to anybody who spent 40 minutes of their lives watching this game of their own accord because this game was three to two after four minutes Uh, we started two for 15 from the field there were multiple stretches where neither team scored and it was just it was awful it was just terrible basketball rife with turnovers rife with missed shots at the end of the first half Troy was up 25 to 17 and at that point, Blake, we're now looking at a stretch of three halves of really bad basketball. So we're coming off the heels of the Gonzaga whipping. We put 17 points up in a home buying game against Troy. Things were looking a little bleak. And then coming out of the half, or rather, hold on. And so as we, as, as we move towards the half down 25-17, something interesting happens at halftime. Buzz doesn't take the team to the locker room. He leaves them out there on the bench. And just lights into them for the entirety of half times for so long that effect that the guys almost didn't even have time to go to the layup line it's like he finally let them go with one or two minutes left they got, put some quick shots up and started the second half uh, he later said that wasn't his intent to show anyone up he just figured takes too long to get to the locker room and to come back that's just time I could spend teaching you know it's kind of like the ultimate pragmatist move but it, it worked you know it it worked and then we came out of the second half we played a lot better immediately hit a 13 to three stretch to get ourselves back in the ball game some. You know, some intermittent bad basketball did occur in the second half, but then we closed it with a 12 0 run to put the game out of reach. Uh, the final score was only four points because Troy did kind of stick around and make a couple threes late. We didn't close at the free throw line quite as well as we should have. Final score, 56-52, and an unlikely hero. Do you want to take that one from the top?
0: Yeah, Mark French got the start on the evening, chipped in uh, 12 points on 3-7 shooting, with five rebounds. Uh, I was quite impressed with with Mark French on the evening. This was really his first major contribution to to Aggie basketball in a meaningful way. So played 31 minutes. I was quite impressed with his play, especially in the second half. He was kind of he and Josh Nebo were really the catalysts who, who got the Aggies going. And I was I was really happy to see him get the opportunity to contribute. We've heard a lot about what he's done in the course of the summer and the offseason. But it, it really came to bear in this game. You, you saw a completely different player. He didn't look timid. He he rose to the occasion and kind of put the team on his back and said, let's go.
1: And that's not an exaggeration. So uh, Josh Nebo was named the game's MVP, but Mark French was the reason we won this game. And that's just, I mean, I'm just saying that that's not a, like a fun thing you toss to a walk-on for playing well. He just was literally, literally the reason we won the game. All 12 of his points were in the second half. Like you said, he played 31 minutes due to the fact that Andre Gordon was on the bench in a walking boot. More on that later because we still don't know exactly <laughs> what that means or how long that's going to be a problem. But he did. He played well. Uh, he did the thing we desperately needed Chris Collins to do all of last year and that he hit a couple threes. Whenever you're a 5'7 spark plug point guard... You do need to have you do need to be able to hit an outside shot if you're left unattended, and he did knock down a couple. But no, he played great. I was really happy for him. And I think we're gonna see more of him coming down the, the next couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, and you really you needed him in this one because Savion Flag continued his regression. Savion put up five points in 23 minutes, and his five points came on three free throws and a breakaway dunk. So uh, all in all, just a a pretty miserable performance from Savion, and that adds to a string of now three games running where he has not looked good at all.
1: He hasn't looked good, and he's looking tentative, and I don't think it's because he's scared to take the shot. I think he's just thinking too much. There's a lot on him. The offense flows through him quite often. He always flashes to the high post anytime we face a zone or any sort of soft pressure, at which point all of the decisions are, are on him, and he must make the next move. Uh, he's a smart player. He tries to find the open man. I just wish he'd be a little more selfish. He's thinking. You know you know what I mean, like You can just see him. Th- you can see the overthinking oh, yeah. as the ball flows you through can, him.
0: You can see the gears turning. You it, can. And you really can.
1: I think it's uh, it's past time. He's high time to just trust himself. I mean, he's he's a good player. He's well-deserving All-ICC second team. I think it's about time, and I'm hoping Buzz is coaching this into him as we approach this shorthanded tournament we're about to face. He needs to just react. And I think more often than not, his reaction will be correct. Uh, but the version of him we have right now, I agree, just hasn't been good
0: enough. No, it hasn't. Uh, J.J. Chandler had a, had a decent game, played 27 minutes, added 10 points. Wendell Mitchell, uh, kind of an up-and-down game for Wendell. Chuck had 8 points. He was 2 of 13 from the floor, including 1 of 9 from 3. So uh, the Aggies on the evening shot 5 of 28 from behind the arc. So not good at all. That's a, for those keeping track at home, that's a lovely 17.9% from from behind the arc. And on the evening, they shot 32.1%. So not a great shooting night for the Aggies. But then again, Troy... Had just about the same percentages. They were 32 percent from the field and 23 percent from three. So, and they were actually 33 percent from the line, whereas the Aggies were 74 percent. So, you know, really, the free throw line is kind of what won this game for the Aggies in a way.
1: It did. Which, you know, if you had a nickel for every time you said that, you would have at least ten cents over the last five years. And this—that is just <laughs> exactly. that's like flat untrue for us. But I do want to note that this latest shooting performance dropped us to 22.7 percent from Beyond the Arc for the year, placing us a healthy 347 out of 353 D1 basketball teams. Which is you this know, bad. It, it, I think this is bad. It feels right. It's like a it's like a warm blanket made of like bricks. It's just it's where we belong. It's where we've been the past two years. Like I feel safe here, right? Like in the bottom like second percentile of all D1 basketball. You know, but we find ourselves there again, uh, and uh, that's not that's not a huge surprise. But given the fact that the three point line moved back to eighteen inches this year, maybe we should not shoot 28 threes in a game moving forward. That's just my personal opinion.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's way too many threes for this team. If you're shooting, if you're shooting twenty three percent on the season, you probably need to shoot a few as few threes as possible. In all honesty, here's the here's the big. You, you alluded to this earlier. Andre Gordon did not play in this one. He was actually in a walking boot. That also adds to uh, Cassius McNeely, who has been in a walking boot. And then early in the game, uh, Emmanuel Miller came down and seemed to have injured his leg. Uh, he only played five minutes and had two points. And he looks like he's going to be out for a while, I do believe.
1: So what does that leave us now? I'm trying to I'm trying to pick through the roster here. I guess uh, you know, thank goodness, uh, Nebo played 30 minutes, so he's looking healthy. So I guess that, that would be Nebo, Mitchell, French, Chandler, Jackson, Flag. That's the six, right? And then whatever you
0: can get out of Yeezy and Aku you know, on the back end. Aku. Yeah, and and Goltekin only had four minutes in this one. I found that really odd, considering the circumstances and the fact that. Miller got hurt. Zach Walker came in off the bench and and logged six minutes, but Goltekin only had four minutes in the whole game. I, I I think all four of those came in the second half. He didn't didn't really contribute anything of substance. So I don't know. It's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing. I think we felt good about the depth coming in, just from the standpoint that you had lots of warm bodies and you were going to distribute the minutes across this group of guys. Well, now you've got out hurt and TJ's left the program. So it's it's going to get really interesting really quick as far as how Buzz kind of manages this rotation.
1: It is. And one quick one quick thought on the game or one final thought on the game from my end before we move all the way forward to Orlando in the future in the rotation. Nebo was getting back to the basket passes, which is something we joked about leading up into this game that we weren't even trying to dump the ball down low. Buzz must have seen something in practice that indicated that that was a reliable way to get buckets in this game. And it worked. Nebo scored. He was efficient. What do you make of the fact that we appear to be dumping the ball into the post again?
0: Well, I think it comes down to a level of comfort with Nebo, right? Josh, as we've talked about, did not get a lot of time in the summer or the offseason. He'd been dealing with. I get the feeling that Buzz is one of those show-it-to-me-in-practice type of guys. Nebo didn't get a chance to show it to him in practice because he had been injured. And I I don't think Buzz necessarily holds that against players, but he just didn't know whether or not he could trust Nebo. Once he got Nebo into the game, and even, even the, the first game that, that Nebo played in, he basically didn't play the entire first half even in the game against Monroe, which was Nebo's actual first game back, uh, he didn't play the entire first half. Uh, and and Buzz really only brought him into the game in the second half when the Aggies were were down and were struggling. And at that point, Nebo asserted his dominance and took over. And I think at that point, Buzz kind of said, OK, I see what we've got here. And, and that carried forward and has continued to carry forward. So I, I think... Buzz is starting to realize what he has with Nebo. He's got a a guy who has a has a good motor. He he's a high energy guy. He's going to play good hard defense and he'll he'll give you some solid looks on the inside on the offensive end. So I think I think he's trying to find offense any place he can get it at this point, especially when your team is shooting so poorly, you've got to go to where where you can hit buckets and if you're going to get them on the inside, then let's go inside and and try to keep it competitive.
1: I do like how adaptable Buzz is. There was a good quote he had about the practices leading up to the Troy game where he said he was literally running every play in practice that he'd ever thought of as a coach. And he was just trying everything to see what stuck. And he said he found a set where uh, putting Nebo on ball side and feeding him the ball and working some action away from him to give him you know, relatively decent spacing – it was getting buckets in practice so much so that they installed it really kind of on short notice ahead of the Troy game and it was working. So it's nice to have somebody adaptable like that instead of, you know, under the prior regime, it was kind of like, this is the system. And if I have the players to fit it great. And if I don't, well, this is the system. (laughs) So it's, (laughs) it's nice. It's nice to be away from that and and towards, uh, towards a a regime where the style molds the players rather than kind of forcing them, uh, forcing them into the system. So I do want to look forward uh, towards Orlando. Now, uh, before we do that, do you have any closing thoughts on Troy or anything else you wanted to hit?
0: Nope. I think it was just an ugly 40 minutes of basketball, and I'm glad it's over.
1: So then let's talk Orlando. And I want to, uh, at a high level, we play Harvard in the opener on Thursday. And then we play either the winner or loser of Maryland versus Temple on Friday. And then on Sunday, we'll get one of USC, Fairfield, Marquette, and Davidson. Uh, interesting note here we are literally one spot ahead of harvard in the uh, ken palm the, the advanced analytics rankings they have us at 95 harvard at 96 appears to be a coin flip game how do you feel heading into this tournament blake and then more importantly what are you looking for how, uh, what do you expect to see
0: yeah i i'm i'm hoping to see a, a good opener against harvard i think this is going to be a, a good indicator for where AM is you've seen kind of a continuous progression of of quality of opponent over the last four games with the exception being Gonzaga right Gonzaga is the outlier they they're the number 8 team in the country so you started off with a northwestern state team that you know kind of kind of resides at the bottom of the list then you move up to a little bit stiffer competition with monroe troy was another step forward to a, to a slightly better team and I think Harvard's going to be going to be the next evolution. So the the schedule gets progressively more difficult in that regard. Um, I, I'm curious to see. I think it's going to be an interesting benchmark for the Aggies to see can they can they handle a team that that is going to play pretty decent basketball. You know, Harvard Harvard kind of gets laughed at because of the Ivy League tag or whatever. But Tommy Amaker has built a nice little program there um they're they're a lot of fun to watch these guys play good solid fundamental basketball and if you if you turn the ball over they'll make you pay so they're they're gonna shoot they're gonna knock down shots and they're they're gonna get open looks so you better take care of the basketball you better play solid defense and you better find a way to score yourselves
1: yeah they do they shoot 35 percent on the air from beyond the arc which is good for I would call it upper quadrant of D1 basketball, but there's one thing I picked up on looking at the matchup uh, preview here. They're actually, I would say, pretty good at offensive rebounding, especially for a one-bid school. Uh, They're 63rd in all of D1 basketball in offensive rebounding rate, and we are 336th in defensive rebounding rate. So when I saw that, I figured, hmm, let me go take a look at some of these guys. Harvard has a 6'9 and a 6'11 starter and a 6'8 guy who ranks sixth in the nation at rebounding rate. So I'll I'll call that their flag, right? The guy who rebounds well above his height. We might have trouble on the glass against these guys, which is not what I would have expected. Anytime you see yourselves lining up across from Harvard, you think, well, if nothing else, we'll own the situation down low. That might not be the case. So I'm officially on notice for this one.
0: Yeah, I think this could be a really stiff challenge. Uh, Nebo's going to have his hands full. And Aku's going to have to put in some solid minutes. I think uh, I could see I could see him going one of two ways. Right, he'll either put in five minutes or he'll put in fifteen minutes because it, it could go either way, just depending on foul situation and things like that. Fortunately, Nebo has shown himself quite adept at avoiding foul trouble, but you never know. You never know when when the referees pick pick a night to start calling it inside and. And that that becomes a, a big question mark.
1: That would be the kind of game where, if, if you know, you know, a college basketball does this right, where you pick up two fouls and you're on the bench with 18 minutes left in the first half. If that happens to Nebo in that game, we are in loads of trouble. So hopefully, he can stay on the floor for that one. Taking a quick look at Harper's results to date, it appears they just kind of beat the terrible teams that they've been signed up to play, and they've lost to the good teams. Which I'd like to make fun of it, but that's also us. So yeah. <laughs> <I don't, laughs> You know, this, is the the, this
0: is the quintessential Spider-Man meme, right?
1: It is. And I think what we're looking at here, it's going to be for both teams the first time they play someone exactly at their level. So I would imagine they'll learn just as much about themselves as we will.
0: Yeah. And it's going to set up a couple of interesting matchups with either Maryland or Temple. Uh, Maryland being being a pretty, pretty solid, salty team. Uh, Temple, not so much.
1: I mean, there's no doubt about it. If we end up, if we're playing Maryland in the second game, we are between eight points and double digit dogs in that game, no problem. Um, that's just, you know. Maryland is a complete, solid team. They're just better than we are. So if, if if we do play them and if we lose, I wouldn't worry too much about that one. If, the, if things break in a slightly different way and we play Temple, I would expect a slightly better game in that one. Temple does have a nice win over USC, an away win over USC that they just grabbed a few nights ago. But they also were still, you know, that's kind of more our speed. So um, if we were to, let's say, lose to Harvard and then lose to Temple, that would be a problem, and I would not be feeling great about that. And that would lead us more towards the likes of uh, Fairfield or Davidson in Game Three. Whereas if we were to go one and on one or two and zero, oh, then we're looking at what would that be, Blake? Uh, USC or Davidson?
0: I believe so. Yeah.
1: So I'm I'm just gonna call my shot here. I'm happy if we just let's just get out of this tournament at one and two. Uh, uh, that's good enough for me. One and two. Let's see some progress. Let's hopefully not get blown out. Let's look okay at certain points. Give me something to grasp moving forward. I would take that. My fear is. You know, if we play Maryland or USC, you know, or just the things break bad, even against the teams where we're kind of a coin flip game against a blowout in one of those games would have us looking uh, pretty dire as we approach December.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think in all honesty, is as, as terrible as this sounds, record wise and building confidence with the team, I almost think a loss to Harvard bumping you into that loser's bracket where you then have a little bit easier path for the next two games wouldn't be such a bad thing right to to pick up a win over Harvard would be great but then you're walking into a firestorm against Maryland you're you know you're picking up a loss there and and you're hoping for the best against what will probably be
1: USC I would
0: see or Davidson maybe or uh, yeah I don't know I and I don't know where Marquette sits is sure
1: oh yeah Marquette
0: sorry yeah yeah so I, I think Marquette you know you could be looking at a matchup against Marquette or USC in the last game of that tournament and i you know one and two isn't a bad look if you get to that if you win the first game if you go the other direction if you lose the first game i think you'd want to be at a two and one to feel good about the progress of where where you know how things went in orlando
1: yeah i'll buy that i'll amend my statement to match that one and two if we win first two and one if we lose first and again this year probably perhaps more so than most years well, this year more so than most years, the process is going to matter more than the result. And these, in these games, particularly early in the system, potentially shorthanded, you know, really coming to play, playing hard, and playing for a full forty minutes will be, you know, that will be, that'll be enough for me.
0: Yeah, I, I think that that's really what you're looking for here is just that evolution. Guys getting more comfortable. You want to see Savion kind of reemerge. I, I'm hoping that a week off for the team will get. We'll get these guys right back in the in the right frame of mind. Hopefully, get some guys healthy. Maybe I, I wouldn't be surprised if if we kind of hit that time frame where you see premiere for Cassius McNeely. Maybe he's maybe he's on the floor, and that would be a much needed, much welcome boost to to field goal percentage. So uh, we'll see what happens. I, I think it's going to be interesting, but it's always fun to get get to watch a, a little bit of uh, hoops over over the Thanksgiving break.
1: And getting McNeely back, back would also add to our need of live humans who can play basketball. So that would be, it would be a, yes, a win yes. from that angle as well. Uh, but no, I hear you, man. I'm I'm looking forward to to getting a break from uh, and then enjoying some hoops over the holidays. And y'all can expect to hear from us when those three games are done, as we head into the latter part of the non-conference schedule.
0: And with that, everybody have a great Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you next week.